What's up, y'all? It's Zach from Living Corporate. Now, look, every episode, we try to bring y'all something special, right? We either have um, an influencer, an educator, a speaker, an author, um, you know, a mover, a shaker, you know, and, and, and today we're actually blessed to have all of those things and more with our guest, Dr. Avis Jones DeWeaver. Dr. Avis Jones DeWeaver is an award-winning author, international speaker, political commentator, and race and gender empowerment expert. As a serial entrepreneur, uh, she is the founder of the Washington, D.C. boutique consulting firm Insight Unlimited, along with the Exceptional Leadership Institute and World Changers Media, LLC. Dr. Avis's organizations offer leadership, diversity and inclusion, entrepreneurship, and media training, along with communication strategy development and some of the implementation of impactful research. Her clients include major corporations, nonprofit organizations, and government entities based both domestically and abroad. So that's everywhere. Okay. Now, look, some of y'all probably have already seen uh, Dr. DeWeaver because she's had uh, she's been seen on a variety of platforms, including CNN, Fox News, PBS, C-SPAN, TV One, BET, BBC, NPR, Sirius XM Radio. Come on now. The Washington Post, The Atlantic, Essence, Ebony, and many, many more. She currently serves as a contributor to The Huffington Post, Black Enterprise, and NBC black now look here y'all gotta i gotta get something for that oh. now look now dr Avis also served as a member of the board of directors for the voter participation center women's voices women's vote and the national coalition on black civic participation in addition she's the senior public policy advisor to the black women's roundtable an affiliated scholar to the institute of women's policy research and a member of closing the racial wealth wealth gap initiative but in her most important role she served as the mother to two magnificent young men who will one day undoubtedly change the world dr weaver welcome to the show how are you doing i am doing <laughs> i'm doing great thanks for having me oh no thank you for being here now look i got all these questions for you but the first question which i recognize has to be the question on top of everybody's mind which one of these sandwiches is better is it the chick-fil-a sandwich or is it the Popeye sandwich <laughs> okay well, you know, I everybody was talking about the whole Popeyes thing, so I just had to try because you know I'm just like, what is all the commotion about? Of course, of course. And I'm not a big Chick Fil A person either, so I have to be honest. I've never even tasted Chick Fil A sandwich because I'm not really that much into chicken sandwiches. I don't really get the purpose of putting the chicken in between two pieces of bread. But I don't know. To me, the Popeyes chicken, okay, unpopular opinion. It was so darn crunchy. I didn't really Mm. hardly taste the chicken. All I tasted was the outside. Oh, I try to stay away from Popeyes stuff anyway. So well, good for you for taking care of yourself. You got to manage your temple. Exactly. You know, it's it's, it's, it's a long term investment. You ain't lying there. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, listen. If I would have, if I had the metabolism I had twenty years ago, I might be all the way in on a chicken sandwich. I mean, hey, (laughs) I'm leaving it alone. Hey, I I definitely, I definitely understand. I definitely understand. I, I've yet to try. Well, so let me let me take it a step back. I've yet to try the Popeye sandwich. But I just, I don't know, man. It's hard. And this is not an ad, you know. And of course, Chick-fil-A has their own problematic points of view as well. But yeah, I don't know. I just don't know, Doc. I don't know if I can get with that Popeyes. I don't know. But, you know, <laughs> it's, all, it's, it's, it's a total experience. Anyway, look, let's, all jokes aside, <laughs> today we're talking about, we're talking about a few things. Because you have, you have so much to offer, right? So we're going to talk about a few things. Talking about identity, self-advocacy, and resistance in the context of the workplace. Now, you've written a number of works that encapsulate perspectives and frustrations of black folks, specifically black women. Can you speak a bit about some of the works that you've written and how those challenges don't stop when you get to work? 
Absolutely. So I think probably my most um, significant work in this area is my book, uh, How Exceptional Black Women Lead. And with that, I interviewed over 70 uh, black women across the nation who, and some internationally, who were absolutely extraordinary in what they do, have ascended to amazing levels in terms of leadership success across a variety of different career platforms and or, or areas, I guess it's a better way of saying it. And I have to say, uh, still, all of them faced uh, the double whammy, the double barrier of being black and being a woman and having to uh, sort of navigate the intersections of that all along the way to get to where they were. And I think the, the bottom line is, is that we all face, uh, no matter where we are, no matter what industry we're in, whether we're corporate, whether we're nonprofit, uh, even whether we're entrepreneurs, um, those same, there are different rules um, that seem to be in play uh, when it comes to us as compared to the other guys. Uh, and the bottom line is that we just, we, we recognize that as reality, but we cannot let those bumps in the road become roadblocks. Uh, we have to figure out how to navigate around them. And so what I found inspiring by speaking with these amazing uh, women is that they found a way to break through those roadblocks, to get over those humps to, and bumps and still make it way to the top. And to me, if they can do it, uh, other people can do it too. Oh, 100%. It's so interesting too. I think that, you know, um, it's so easy. Well, on my side, because I'm a man, so I participate in I have I participate in patriarchy and male privilege, and I think about. But more and more that I talk to, of course, my mother as I've just gotten older and just like kind of think back about times when I was a child and just the things she experienced at work, as well as just my my black female colleagues when I talk to them, just the amount of trauma and abuse and disrespect that like y'all endure and just casually yeah. put up with, right? You know, so oh, yeah. Right. You, and it's, and it's like every time I meet some black woman at work, she always has at least one extra degree more than I do. Right. And it's just so there's, you know, you and I are having this conversation on black women's equal pay day. Yeah. Um, and there's a pattern here of black women being underpaid and overeducated, overqualified for the roles um, and underpromoted. Right. Undersponsored. Yeah. You know, just to the point, you're looking at them like, what more do you want from me? You know, just like, what, what's going on? Like, <laughs> Oh, my God, that was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so true. And in fact, you know, actually, I wrote a piece for NBC Black called oh. um, Black Women in the Normalcy of Disrespect. And it talks exactly about this issue. Uh, everything that you mentioned. Plus, on top of that, the issue of oftentimes having your brilliance um, basically gentrified by other people in the workplace, right? Mm. Uh, so so doing the hard work, uh, not getting the credit, um, seeing other people that you basically train leapfrog over you, uh, it has in many ways become normal. And I think it, and that also is related to another fact uh, that black women are the leading demographic in the nation just to say bump this and, st and start their own businesses, <laughs> right? right? right. Uh, because I think many of us come to the realization that um, if my brilliance is not going to be uh, respected here, uh, why am I giving away my pearls uh, to, for this, to this, right? Why not cast my pearls in my own favor? And so a lot of us are making that transition uh, to entrepreneurship because we understand that 
um, the work that we do in the workplace oftentimes is disrespected, uh, is not, um, does not really lead to uh, the same sort of outcomes that other people face. And so um, because of that, we, we think about, well, we don't want to spend our lives in that situation. Uh, why not see what we can do in terms of um, turning our intellectual capital into a good, not just for somebody else, but for ourselves? No, amen, Doctor Ritten. Look, you're not those are those little biblical references. You're not sleeping on me. I heard you. I got one for you too. Because sometimes you gotta just you know shake the dust from your feet. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Okay, so you, you just gotta make it happen. You know, but no, you're absolutely right. And I think there's there's also and so I'd love for you and I to talk about this at a, in a separate conversation. But you know, living corporate, what we're really trying to do right now is do some research to talk about um, and connect like the mental health impacts of work related trauma to black and brown folks at work because there's something that it, I believe and again I'm not a I don't have a PhD okay I, I'm not out here hanging out with Roland Martin like you Dr. Dweaver but I do believe <laughs> <laughs> I do believe that there's some mental I, I do believe it impacts your mental health to be the person who's putting all the thought leadership in but then someone comes in quote unquote cleans it up and then they yeah. get all the credit for it right I think that that's, that does something to you over time it, it is it, it can be traumatic uh, and Dealing with a daily sort of barrage of microaggressions and micro and macroaggressions and not seeing other people sort of um, stand up and acknowledge what it is and call a thing a thing uh, is also traumatic. I just had a conversation with a client uh, last night who um, is a tenured professor at a university, went to an uh, event at her university where there was a guest speaker there and apparently... The guest speaker, uh, white, uh, mm. used the N word, and she was shocked. She was insulted, and just as much as she was shocked and uh, insulted, she was also hurt that none of her white co- colleagues said anything. No, so, that, no, that's terrible. And that's terrible. she felt betrayed, right? Yeah. So you know, it is traumatic. Uh, it can be traumatic to continue to suffer those indignities every day, uh, which is uh, basically a coded behavior in our society Mm. that says that that tries to tell us the lie basically, Mm. uh, that we don't belong, uh, that uh, we are not important, um, that we're not valued. And I think a lot of the work that I do, uh, whether it be through my writing, whether it be through uh, my sort of uh, and coaching with with women on, around these issues uh, is is really about um, saving our souls from that daily assault that we face in the workplace uh, and figuring out strategies uh, to navigate it in a way that maintains our self dignity uh, and allows us to put ourselves in situations where we do garner respect, whether or not that means. Um, navigating those spaces within that environment in a way that changes that dynamic so that you are treated with the respect that you deserve. Or in some situations, it may mean finding a better um, a better environment uh, that is healthier for you uh, because uh, it does not do you any good to um, stay in a workplace that is constantly assaulting your dignity. It will impact your health will impact your peace of mind and let me tell you no check it's worth that 
Oh, listen, hold on, hold on. Straight up. You're absolutely right. I can listen because, and this is, this is the thing. I think we're in a really interesting intersection of increased awareness. If, if, if I'm going to go by social media and if I look at, if I, if I look at like the wellness trends of today, especially within like the black and brown community, um, we're in an interesting intersection of millennials being more and more prominent in the workplace mm-hmm. and mental health being like more and more openly discussed. And yeah. I and I think that, you know, we, we've seen trends now that people like my generation will leave. You know, they're talking about yeah. <laughs> this ain't working. This, they say, well, you know, hey, if you're not going to be able to work these crazy hours and be treated like this, you're going to have to find a new job. It'll be like, we need to no move problem. Lonzo. That ain't no problem. That ain't no problem. It's not a problem. Like, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we will transition, you know. <laughs> I'll be like, deuces. Deuce, like, good <laughs> goodbye. But you know what? That in and of itself is a good strategy. You know, I think we need to uh, acknowledge the wisdom of that in a couple of different ways. Mm. I mean, not only are you saving your soul from from that, those stressors that, as I mentioned, impact Mm -hmm. your physical health and your mental health. Quite frankly, your strongest point of negotiation when it comes to salary is when you have a new job opportunity. Mm -hmm. So. So moving to that next opportunity and that next opportunity and that next opportunity in a relatively short period of time helps you to be able to exponentially grow your earning power a lot more than individuals oftentimes who choose to spend long periods of time in one place and get stuck and have a hard time moving up that ladder. So I think oftentimes people talk about millennials in very disparaging ways. And I think in many ways, some of those folks need to sit back and watch y'all and learn from what you're doing <laughs> because that makes nothing but sense to me. Oh, listen, because if you look at my little LinkedIn, I'm not I'm not leaving a job every couple months. Don't get me wrong, but I've zigzagged. I got a little I got a little positive zigzag action going on. And you just gotta, you gotta <laughs> keep gotta keep your eyes open because I I'll show up to a whole new job talking about what it do, baby. Yeah. Like I will, boy. Anyway, so look, let's let's <laughs> keep let's keep it going. You know what? And this is the thing, Dr. Weaver. You're making me laugh more, so then I'm using more of these sound effects. But that's fine. I appreciate the encouragement. Uh, let's talk about the role that intersectionality plays in the work that you do, right? So, yeah. um, so Insight Unlimited. Yes. Uh, you, you know, you're a DNI. You're you're a diversity, equity, and inclusion expert. What does yep. it look like to discuss race and gender and engage white women who may assume that your challenges and lived experiences are either, if not the same, highly similar? That's a problem. Uh, that is a. That's a, <laughs> that's a huge problem. <laughs> but in all seriousness, I, I honestly these days I'm so frustrated with where we are in the DNI space. Period. DNI. Hmm. I'm frustrated because many companies, and I talk about this a bit in my book, um, for years now, actually have made the decision, they've made the calculated decision to preference gender diversity over racial diversity in um, their uh, efforts and in their focus and programming as it relates to looking at DE&I and how it is lived out in their companies. And as I show uh, in my book, what we've seen, and it's interesting because this dates back to um, 2008, we start to see a shift in who gets promoted to leadership positions in corporations. Right. right. Uh, and it's interesting. It's, it's if there was a, this collective decision among corporations that, okay, there's a black president, so black people have made it. Yes. So let's stop <laughs> focusing on black folk, right? Yes. And so what you see, if you look at the data 
about who actually gets promoted to management positions is we've seen an exponential increase in the number of white women who get those positions. And at the same time, we've seen a, a mirrored effect of a decrease in the number of people of color of both genders who get those positions. So now, even though we're in a time right now where corporations are you know, every time you, you know, open the, see them, every time you hear anything around uh, corporations around this issue of diversity, a lot of them have a good, you know, stick to sell. All of them are know what to say. They always talk about the importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion. But when you actually look at the numbers, you actually have corporations that are getting whiter and whiter. And even though they tend to tout the language of diversity, but they're just, checking that box with white women instead of with people of color. So in many organizations, you end up having what I call an organizational apartheid, where the leadership structures now are increasingly white, even though now uh, you have more of those leaders wearing skirts than you did in years past, but you have even more whiteness at the top now than you did, say, 10 years ago. Listen, I I was on a job... And I was talking, I was talking to somebody and uh, they they were talking about how diverse the group was. And I was like, the group is all white women. <laughs> what do you mean diverse? Like diverse in what way? Diverse in like the, that they're all not blonde or like what, like, what is this? And you're a hundred percent right. And I, I don't know. So look, this is the thing, right? So I'm, I am in, I'm actively in corporate America, right? Like I'm, I'm in this space. I'm, I work for a large consulting firm and. It's it's increasingly frustrating because the, you're absolutely. I 100 percent agree with you. I'm looking at the content. I'm looking at the way that things are framed, and they are often framed in very binary terms, right? Like mm-hmm. they're, they're they're framed in very like men versus women. It's like you're really going like it's insulting. Like it's it's not only just a historical, right? It's, it's it's an intellectually dishonest discussion. Like we don't have absolutely thought, right. It's intellectually dishonest because in 1865, mm, in 1845. Um, all men were not doing the same things. Okay? Absolutely not. Right. And all women were not doing the same things. And so it's like, okay, what does it look like to have an honest conversation about this? We actually had um, Lionel Lee, who's the, um, he's an inclusion lead um, for the Zillow group. And mm-hmm. we were, I asked him, I said, why do you believe that? Like, we're just now, like just now, just now getting to talking about black women from time to time. And mm-hmm. and we're and we've yet to I haven't really been a part of a lot of programs that explicitly talk about black male experiences. Right. Right. And I'm like, I don't even do it. And I a part DNI is a large part of my job. But I don't even do it because I recognize that I need to use my platform, my privilege to help my sisters and and not. But and at the same time, I'm like, but why don't we ever talk about the reality and nuanced experience of black men? Like, yes, we benefit from patriarchy. And yes, we have we have privileges that black women do not have. We're also seen as a threat at work. We're also oftentimes patronized in a way. And, and it's just it's, there's a, it's a unique. We don't even talk about that kind of stuff. And you're and a, I would, keep going. You're exactly right. And I would say you also suffer wage gaps. Right. Um, people talk about wage gaps as if it's just a gendered thing. It's not. It's a race and a gendered thing. So just as uh, you know, black women, for example, suffer a double wage gap as compared to 
uh, white men, which makes, as you mentioned, we're recording this on Black Women's Equal Pay Day. You know, black men have a pay gap with white men of similar uh, educational backgrounds. And so black men aren't paid fairly either. And then if you look within the the women's population, black women suffer a wage gap as compared to white women. So no one really talks about these realities. Um, It's not as simple as just the gender dynamic. You're exactly right. In this nation, um, race colors, no pun intended, everything, Mm -hmm. everything. Yet, uh, you know, when there is no, there is only a sense of um, uh, urgency around talking about this inter- issue of gender at work and addressing those issues. And, you know, my theory behind that is, hmm. you know, it. let's just be real. I mean, those white men who stand at the top of the hierarchy in these spaces have white mothers. They have white wives. Exactly. They have white daughters. Yes. So there has been a, a natural alliance there that they tend to be more sensitive to right. than they are to black male issues, black female issues, or issues of any people of color. And so, you know, I think it's important that um, we acknowledge that reality. And until DE and I become serious about taking off the blinders and having an honest conversation around, and not just conversation, honest actions around really creating equity at work through both a race and gendered lens, it will really be nothing in many ways but a farce at many organizations where they can do a little something, have a few programs on a few special days. But when it comes to really making substantive change, um, they cower. Uh, and, and much like the rest of this culture, the normalcy of white uh, privilege in our society um, creates a situation where uh Whiteness does not want to take responsibility uh, for its actions. As we're recording this, not only is it Black Women's Equal Pay Day, I'm actually in Hampton right now about to attend um, all the commemorative activities around uh, the 400th anniversary of the first Africans who came to America Hmm. uh, in slave ships. I'll put it like that. Mm -hmm. And um, we still, you see what happened when the New York Times published the 1619. Yes. Where you have all of these supposedly legitimate, quote unquote, voices on the right come out uh, and basically deny the reality of the history of this nation. Right. Now, yeah. And so we have a, we have a relatively easy time in America, at least acknowledging issues of sexism. Like we don't deny facts when it comes to like. <laughs> you know, history of sexism, <laughs> right? But to have people act like the reality of the brutality of what slavery was, right? Um, to, to to call that propaganda, to me, serves as a great example of the level of dysfunction that we are in this nation when it comes to really being honest around the oppressive nature of racism, not just in the past. You can't even cop up to what happened 400 years ago. That really... Um, puts a spotlight on why it's so important and why it's so hard for people to cop up what's happening right here in the here and now. Had to give you a flex bomb. You're absolutely right. You're dropping straight facts. Now, look, I want to respect your time, so let's keep going. Um, one topic that Living Corporate has discussed in the past has been respectability politics. And I'm a firm, firm believer that respectability still shapes 
a large amount of the ways that we as black and brown folks show up in any space. What has been yeah. your experience with respectability politics and in the realms that you engage? Yeah, I mean, that is uh, it's a big thing. It's a big thing where people have to make a choice in many ways. Like, how do you navigate situations uh, at work where it, there are sensitivities around um, institutionalized racism? Do you sort of call it out in the moment or do you try to play the game and hope that it will make you know, things will improve over time. Right. You know, I, I really think, I personally have a problem with respectability politics. Yes. Uh, it may just be that I'm a rebel and that just be the <laughs> <laughs> But really, logically, I'm thinking, what are you really gaining when right. you're sacrificing your soul? Really, what are you hmm. gaining? And then what are you changing, hmm. right? What, what you're doing is you're legitimizing the unfair behavior when you contort yourself in a way in which you have to minimize who you are in order to be accepted. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a, a, a brief example. When I, you know, I've had my locks, I have locks and I've had locks, my locks now for well over 20 years. I started them when I was in, uh, when in graduate school, well before it became cool. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> and so when I started my locks, uh, I remember my mom told me at the time, Oh my God, you'll never get a job. You know, um, but at the time, I told her, and it is it is born to, out to be true, that you know if someone does not want to hire me because of what's on my head versus what's in my head, then that's someplace I don't want to work. Right. right. Because that tells you something about that environment, right? And so to me, that's just an example of respectability politics. If if I have to change who I am to fit in with you, then I don't need you, boo boo. I don't need that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're not the only place on earth. Absolutely yeah. not. <laughs> and that goes to relationships too, but that's a whole other story. Oh my goodness. You're going to have to come back for that one. You're, you're 100% right though. Okay. So now, <laughs> do you believe that respectability has increased or decreased in this era of Trump? And I'm going to say era of Trump because come on. Mm. Now, look, first of all, this is my podcast. I'll say what I want to say. But two, it's there the reality go. of like the fact that we live in an era that is in certain ways. So I'm not one of the people that thinks like, Oh, it's so much more racist now that America has been racist since in the inception. Yep. Uh, however, um, or with that being said, um, there is a certain level or spirit of boldness that is in the atmosphere. That is, I would say you un- unique to this time, but not, not exclusive to this time. Right. Um, with that, with all of those different uh, exceptions being said at the top, do you believe respectability has increased or decreased in the era of Trump? And what role do you predict it playing for the next generation of black and brown folks at work? Mm-hmm. I think uh, respectability has decreased uh, in the era of Trump precisely mm. because of what you previously mentioned. I mean, in this time, we are seeing um, a space where even though racism has always been around, it's not the new to America. It's been here from the very beginning. Right. Um, we are experiencing a moment where there is greater social acceptability or at least perceived social acceptability mm. for overt racist acts, right? Mm. And so because of that, people are engaging in more racist actions in broader society, which includes in the workplace, okay? And um, and I think that uh, it's also created sort of a counter-reaction where people are also becoming more activists in terms of resisting uh, those behaviors. Now, it, 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 
people find different ways to fight back. But I do think that where there is an action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And in this moment, while we're seeing a rise in hate crimes, a rise in hate groups all across the nation, you're also seeing, I believe, a rise in activism to fight against it. Uh, and so if there is hopefully a, um, a silver lining that we might find behind this moment, it is my hope that what it has done is it has awakened people who maybe had been lulled into a sense of false security under the Obama administration mm. to say, you know what, we haven't gotten as far as I thought we, we've, got, we've gotten. In fact, we were starting to move backwards. Wow. And I just can't go along to get along anymore. The time has now come to fight back. And I'm hoping that's what more and more people are doing. And from what I see, that seems to be the case. No, I 100% agree with you. Because, you know, as an example, uh, Dr. Uh, Jones, the so, you know, I used to kind of like, I used to take, take a break. You know, like, let's say like in Obama's time, you know, I would walk outside, just take a nice little stroll. But see, now in the era of Trump, I feel extra black. So I take, I got my menthols and I just smoke. <laughs> Right outside. <laughs> Maybe I take some black and miles. You know, it's nothing, right? I might even put on a do rag because I'm like, you know, like, ain't about to stop me. Put on one black glove. And on one black, black. I put on one black glove as I roll a Newport. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh my, man, you are scared, folks. At man. my desk while listening to uh, Strange Fruit in the background. Listen, okay. So now you. <laughs> I'm going to let you go. We're almost we're almost done. I promise. Here we go. Your voice is a critical part of everything you do. Right. So you're a, you're a writer. You're an advocate. You're an activist. You're an educator. Um, and you're also a, a speaker and you're a political commentator in, in major mainstream media uh, and independent media. What advice would you give to black and brown women who still struggle to find their voice and advocate for themselves at work? That is an excellent question and such an important question. First of all, you have to realize that you do have a voice. It's there. No one has the right or the ability to take away you, what's inside of you and what's for you, right? And so I think just acknowledging that your voice is there and your voice has value is the first critical step that every black woman has to take. And then you have to say, well, what? how can I best use this to create um, better outcomes for me, right? It's about speaking up when someone takes your idea and tries to pass it off as their own. It's about making sure that you negotiate when that offer is made to you and you don't just take the first number that's thrown your way. You know, it's about um, speaking up in that meeting uh, and making sure that your perspective is heard. Uh, so it's about not shrinking in those moments. And instead, remembering the powerful being that you are and that you deserve to be there and that nine times out of ten, you're probably more qualified than everybody else in that room. And so lean into that. And that's the only situation where I would ever use the term lean in because, because I will say that, generally speaking, we all know that black women have been leaning in forever, right? And I, oh. But what I really want us to do is understand our power. Uh, and to vocalize that power and to not feel ashamed of, about vocalizing it. And if you do get to a situation where you feel that the environment that you're in does not respect you, does not want your contribution, uh, 
tries to minimize you or silence you, then I think you should definitely look at other opportunities because this world is replete with opportunities. Come on. Other job opportunities and opportunities that you can create independently for yourself. And so lean into the beauty of the brilliance within you and don't let anyone else convince you that it's not there. Yo, let me just go ahead and give some air horns for that real fast. Those are all big facts. My goodness gracious. Okay, look, this has been a great conversation. I've had a wonderful time. I also believe, I'm not trying to impose, I believe you've also had a wonderful time. And I yeah, would... I have. <laughs> this has been great. Thank you. Before we let you go, any parting words or shout outs? I just want some more sound effects. That's all. I'm just like really to this day all about the sound effects. We right here. Look, listen, I, I got them all. Look, and I, me and Aaron, I'll listen to something on YouTube. Be like, Aaron, go ahead and take that and drop it in the Dropbox. He's over here. He'll take some little downloads and put them in our uh, little folder. Like, <laughs> we got all kinds of content. Okay, so we're ready. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> all right. Okay. Listen, y'all. Thank you so much for joining the Living Corporate Podcast. Now, look, we're everywhere. I used to say all the little places that we at. Dr. Avis Jones, the Weaver, but I don't, I don't do that anymore. I just say Google us at this point. You know what I'm saying? Because God is okay. Because He has enlarged our territory. Okay, we are, we are, we are continuing to to expand and grow. Okay, and so if you just Google Living Corporate, you will find us. Okay, we're on every streaming platform. You can check us out on Instagram at Living Corporate. Look at us on Twitter at Living Corp underscore Pod. Okay, we're out here. If you want to listen and make sure that you actually can check out all of Dr. Uh, Avis Jones, the Weaver's books. And uh, speaking engagements and where you can contact her more, check out the show notes. We got it all right there. Until next time, this has been Zach. You've been listening to Dr. Avis Jones, the Weaver speaker, educator, activist, mother of two and uh, all around dope person. Catch y'all later. Peace. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.